Nicely done, Beef. When football fans everywhere cheer for their team, they're cheering for you too, because your savory snacks fuel the gridiron battle. With your tasty sliders, hearty chilies, and drool-worthy steaks, every option is an MVP. Most valuable protein. So gather around the TV and get cooking at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Start. We're here in the midweek. Bulldogs coming off back-to-back wins. Charlie, it's amazing how people would just feel differently when you win two football games, especially like you won this past week against a pretty good Kentucky team. Well, you see what you can be. And all of a sudden, not only have we seen on the field, the pollsters. How about that? The playoff committee putting the 17. Yeah, how about that? We come how out last that? night, 17, three losses. But, uh, you know, there's some people out there crying about it. But at the end of the day, we've got three wins against top 25 teams. And so, yeah, you have a couple losses in there, Memphis and LSU, that just drive you crazy. You look back at that Memphis loss, and it just just makes you mad because you know, you know, that's that's an outlier but you have really played well and playing better right now. That's the thing. This team continues to get better. One of the things that we have been hearing for so long is that this can't work in the SEC. I think what we're seeing is it certainly can. Now, whether we're capable of performing at the level we need to each week, we haven't seen that yet, but we're certainly improving and moving in that direction. I think this weekend will tell us a lot more, but look what we've seen. We've seen a team go on the road, beat A&M. We've seen a team beat Kentucky. We've seen a team beat NC State. This is a team that is showing what it is capable of doing, and what it is capable of doing is winning in this league. And I think this weekend is so big because last year this was the game that kind of brought us back down to earth. You know, we had beaten LSU. We come back home. We're playing Arkansas. Sam Pittman's in his first year at Arkansas. They've been wretched for a few years. And then, you know, they sat back in that – eight-man cloud last year with a three-man front, and they gave us trouble early on. Forced a a pick six early in that game and really just took us out of our game. And so, yeah, now you try to see that consistency piece of the entire puzzle, and can you go to Arkansas and perform back-to-back weeks. Charlie, we're in downtown Starville. I'll tell you what, Bulldog Bash is Friday. It's hard to believe Bulldog Bash is here. We talked to Hardy a couple of weeks ago. He's going to be on the stage here in downtown for Bulldog Bash on Friday night. And Yes, you know, Bart, on Sunday, you remember Sunday, don't you? I've caught a lot of grief about Sunday. Have you really? Yes. I had, had, I had someone say, man, Charlie sounded like he had not been to sleep yet. I had not, in fact, uh, <laughs> been to sleep yet, at least not for enough to register on the scale. I got, I got a lot of grief. I like to think I wasn't underperforming. I like to think I was heroic. I do, too. I like to think I was heroic. And after we did our show, I, I rallied later in the day, and I came back downtown, and the brunch and browse was going on. There were people everywhere, a lot of sane people. Really? Who decided to, you know, sleep in, get up, <laughs> spend some time around town, not to show up here before the sun was up in their New Orleans Saints gear. Was there uh, Were there many people out on the brunch and browse, dressed up, costumes? Because let me tell you this, Charlie. There's no greater costume party 
than a New Orleans Saints game on Halloween. Oh, man, I can't imagine. Oh, yeah, you saw a lot of things that were cool. You saw a lot of things that you wish you could unsee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, An indelible stain in your memory. Absolutely. Well, the brunch and browse is one of the great things they have here on home weekends. Of course, we've got a couple home weekends left this season. And so, hey, start well, so much going on right now. You had the Pumpkin Palooza last week. You've got the Holiday Bazaar coming up you know, toward the end of the month. And so just so many great things here in downtown Starkville. Here's the thing that I did see, Charlie, with the late game on Saturday night. And I was coming to the studio, and the sun had yet to come up on Sunday. And once again, publicly, thank you once again. There were guys out on the street at very early time on Sunday making sure that Starkville was clean. And so you would have never known on Sunday that there was a football game on Saturday. They do a great job here with uh, their downtown staff, with the city staff, of getting this place back to normal in a hurry. Same way with the, same way with the university staff as well. And so it's, uh, it's definitely a clean place to be on a Sunday. Well, the downtown staff's going to get to get up early on Saturday this week because Friday night it's going to be, it's going to be packed. Absolutely. Bulldog Bash, one of the great events that we have in this town. Well, it really is. It's it's always a pretty cool deal. And so Hardy will be here on Friday night for Bulldog Bash. So, Charlie, this week we kind of go a couple of different routes. You know, I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk to John Stevens next with R&T calls, Rich and Tone calls, Duck calls, Mississippi State guy. And then later, a you know, he's a Mississippi State guy as well. He's on the periphery. And that's Ian Rappaport. He used to write for the Clarion Ledger, comes back to Mississippi several times a year, and he's kind of a playmaker when it comes to what's going on behind the scenes in the NFL. So we'll talk to Ian as well. So John Stevens, Ian Rappaport, and so a good show for you today on Out of Left Field. And once again, we're presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team at Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Great customer service. That's what it's all about. Something goes wrong, you can call your Farm Bureau agent, and he lives in the community with you. He's not a guy that you're going to have to call a 1-800 number and just sit there and wait to get your check. you got great service and great Farm Bureau agents across the state of Mississippi. So go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. So when we come back, we'll talk to John Stevens of RNT Calls in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Big Mississippi State guy, big baseball guy. I like to talk to John about turning some wood and making some of those great duck calls. Back after this, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We're the Farm Bureau Studios right here in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. Charlie, you know, we're always looking to evolve. That's the thing about us. We don't try to get into any kind of rhythm and say, okay, this is who we are. We've been talking about doing something for a while, and that's kind of doing some kind of outdoor take. We've got so many Mississippi State guys that are massive massive in the outdoor world and one of the guys we're going to talk to today is a massive guy in the outdoor world and this is not sponsored driven he's not a massive guy no he's a he's He's just a guy who is massive in the outdoor world yes we're trying to say yeah he's got some massive locks he got the long hair he does have that yeah john stevens one of our one of our favorite guys great friend of ours always knew him as duck did you really yeah so when i first met him 
I was 19 maybe. Okay. He came to Mississippi State from Stuttgart, Arkansas, shows up. He didn't have all the hair back then, otherwise normal-looking guy. But uh, everybody told me that's Duck. So here's the thing about what he does. He owns – they own rich and tone calls, Duck calls. And not only do they make Duck calls, he makes a personal design and a personal line of Duck calls as well that he turns personally. And they do – all kind of apparel or whatnot, but they're in Stuttgart, Arkansas. And let me tell you something, Charlie. They are one of the leaders. They are one of the leaders in the duck industry. And so I can't wait to talk to uh, to John Stevens. Well, that's one thing I'll say. It's always been fascinating to me, and I always feel like we probably could do a better job of identifying those Mississippi State people who are out there who are doing so many of these cool things. But this guy isn't just somebody who happened to go to Mississippi State. This guy is all in Mississippi State. So really cool association between kind of the athletic side and then the outdoors world. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, four locations. They've got the great Barco equipment and the Saney equipment as well. So if you're in the forestry world or in the dirt-moving world, they are your go-to for all of your equipment needs. That's at Trax Plus. You've got... Daniel Bounds in Columbus, Fred Fulton's over there as well, Ken Crosby down in Hickory, Gresh Howell down in Summit, Mississippi, and Hoop Weems in Alexandria, Louisiana. Large selection of new and used equipment. You can't go wrong with a great service. As we talked about last week, if anything goes wrong, they've got a huge, huge service shop down in Hickory, Mississippi. And so our great friends at Tracks Plus bringing you this interview with John Stevens of RNT Calls. So let's go to the phones. We've got John Stevens on the line. John, I always knew you as Duck back in the day. You're a Mississippi State guy, but you're from Arkansas. It's Duck season. What? That's got to be around the corner, isn't it? I'm not an outdoorsman, Bart. Is this Duck time? When, when does it get cold enough for Ducks? It feels like Duck season out there. <laughs> it's not much, not much longer. Yeah. Okay. So No, actually, actually it opens November the uh, 20th here. So it's getting close. See, I'm plugged in, Bart. Don't question my outdoor credentials. It's not now. So, anyway, <laughs> we thought, you know what? We've got it coming up. We've got uh, – it's at least time to be getting ready for duck season. It's also time to be getting ready for an Arkansas football game. And I thought, who do I know in Arkansas that's a bulldog? And that led me to you. Well, I appreciate you calling. That's always a fun time of the year for us, uh, just with Mississippi State football and duck season. So, that's two of my favorite things to talk about. John, one of the first times I met you, we're talking to John Stevens, R&T calls. And one of the first times I talked to you, it was a Tuesday night. We were playing like Samford in baseball. And you had driven over from Stuttgart, come to the ball game, and said, hey, I'm just driving back. How many times did you just come over in the midweek and sit at a baseball game and just drive back to Stuttgart? Man, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've driven that or made that trip uh, for baseball or uh when I was in college, and, you know, now I have a son there. But uh, Anthony and I both try to make as uh, many baseball games as we can. We're, we're season ticket holders in baseball and football and basketball, actually. So, uh, Starville's kind of like our second home. We make we make a lot of road trips to Starville. So, I go back to when I first met you in college. I knew you as somebody who had a lot of success, kind of on the, what I call the junior circuit of duck calling competitions. How did you get started in that as a kid? Well, you know, Stuttgart is actually uh, the home of the World Duck Hunt Championship. So, um, and we're the we claim that we're the world or the duck capital of the world for hunting. So, um, man, when you grow up here, you're just 
you're immersed in duck hunting. And uh, there's actually, we have, I think it's been going on for like 60 years. There's a youth clinic that uh, they put on. It's uh, nine weeks and two days out of the week. They teach kids starting from the first grade how to blow a duck call. So if you're from Stuttgart, you know <laughs> you know how to blow a duck call. And uh, those clinics were actually where I started probably seven or eight years old, just going there. And, and they teach the basics. They have it broken up into uh, three divisions. So one year you'll start out in the beginners. The next year you'll come at what they call semi-advanced and then advanced. And it's really just teaches you how to operate a call. And uh, Butch Richenbach, the guy that started R&T Calls, was actually the teacher or instructor of that at the time. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and now we actually do the clinics ourselves here. Myself and Jim Ronquist teach the clinics. COVID kind of screwed that up a little bit, so we've kind of had to do stuff different the last couple of years. But that's really how I got started, actually learning uh, to call. And then, you know, of course, going duck hunting with, with my dad and uh, my family. And that, that led to getting into competition calling. I was always just fascinated, not just with, I guess, the calling part, but, but making calls at a, at a very early age. So while I was competing in some of these contests, um, I had relatives that, you know, are from the Stuttgart area and duck hunted for a long time. And um, I kind of got interested in watching Butch when I'd go over to his shop. Um, then Rich and Tone was just a little small, uh, 800 square foot, really garage. And he just made calls by hand there. And I, I just was totally fascinated with watching him turn calls on a lathe. And that kind of led me to um, start collecting calls. And so I started collecting old duck calls when I was about seven or eight years old. I had family members that, that gave me a lot of these old calls. And so that's really how I just kind of, I guess, immersed myself or immersed myself into um, to the, the history of calls, learning how to call at that young age. And it was competing in these duck calling contests, not just in Stuttgart, but around the country. Just gave me a way to enjoy duck calls, you know, 365 days a year. So um, really, the junior level, you didn't really have to qualify for it. Um, it was just 13 and under, and um, so I competed in it for a few years and uh, won it at age 12. Um, but the neatest thing then was they had the men's world going on, and there wasn't an age limit at that time. You just had to uh, win a regional, a sanctioned regional or a state contest. So. While I was competing in that, I wanted to, I kind of set the goal. I wanted to try to be the youngest person to ever qualify for the, the men's world. And uh, so I was able to do that at age 13. And ever since then, it's just, it's, it's been a huge part of my life. Obviously, from the contest calling to now that's, you know, that's, that's our living. Talking to John Stevens, Rich and Tone, R&T Calls. You know, John, it's a worldwide brand right now. I mean, it's amazing how big. Rich and Tone and R&T. Do you call it Rich and Tone or R&T? Well, we actually call it R&T now. Just uh, just over time, you know how things, the actual name is Rich and Tone Calls, but it's it's like uh, like you call Mississippi State State. You know, it's just a shorter uh, a name. And once people started just call it, referring to it by R&T, we kind of developed our logo and we kind of rebranded it probably back in 99 or 2000 as R&T Calls. But it's a worldwide brand now. Explain the process and how did you take it from just, you know, a, as you said, a garage to what it is today? And when did you kind of get into the call making and say, hey, this is what I want to do? Because I look at your background, you're a landscape architecture major, you worked in landscape architecture. Was there a certain time where you just said, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to. I want to do something that's cool. I want to do something that doesn't seem like work, and I want to make duck calls for a living. When was that time? Well, you know, um, like growing up in Stuttgart, there were a lot of call makers 
you know, we used to say there's one on every block because duck hunting was so big. There were so many people that, that made calls and sold them, but they were more as a hobby and not really, a, you know, a, a living 365 days a year. So um, really our biggest challenge was to figure out how to, to make it a business, you know, instead of a hobby through some of these call makers. And uh, just at a young age, that, like I said, I was so fascinated with watching call making. I, I can remember telling my parents that was what I wanted to do for a living. And at that time, it really wasn't a living. So they, they just all kind of laughed and said, you know, you need to go to college, get a degree. And my dad was always big on doesn't really matter as much what your degree in, but college teaches you how to learn. So, you know, that was that was a big, important step. And I, I was always I always liked design and I liked working outside. So landscape architecture kind of seemed like a good fit at the time. And um, so I graduated with that and Angie and I moved to Hilton Head, South Carolina. And we worked there for about a year or so. And about that time, Butch started uh, having heart problems. He, he had a couple heart attacks before then, Butch Richenbach, the guy that started um, Rich and Tone Calls. And then it, it got so bad he was going have to have to have a heart transplant. And we were back home visiting one Thanksgiving and he was getting ready to sell the company and there was uh, some companies that looked at it like Primos or HS, uh, Hunter Specialties, uh, Lowman, I think. And he just said, well, why don't you buy it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm just out of college. I don't, I don't have any money. <laughs> you know, that's the main reason why I'm not going to buy it. And so, um, you know, we just got to talking more and, uh, I, you know, I, I was kind of skeptical at first, but we didn't, we didn't have any children. We didn't have anything really just tied down. And if it didn't work out, I could always go back to landscape architecture. So, uh, Angie and I just decided to move back to Stuttgart, and uh, we bought the company in, in, I guess, 99, 1999. So you're there in Stuttgart, Arkansas, home of the Rice Birds, by the way. Isn't that the high school mascot? That is. I thought we were the only Rice Birds, but I found out there is one in Texas, so kind of disappointed. So there can't be too many Rice Birds out there. But how much grief do you have to take from uh, the Arkansas guys being a Bulldog the way you are? Oh, I tell everybody that I think I'm the only Mississippi State fan that the whole state of Arkansas knows. So um, this last baseball season was a little rough uh, at the beginning when they came and swept us, but um, it worked out all right, I think, in the end. John, when you start making calls, and of course, you know, with the R&T calls, and then you decided to do kind of a separate line, the, the Jay Stevens collection, and how does your day work? I mean, so you have the R&T, then you have the Jay Stevens collection, and, you know, I, I know you're busy right now. And the, What's your daily schedule like? Is it more R&T? Is it more, you know, working with a lathe and trying to design new calls with the Jay Stevens? Just what's your day like? Actually, it's, it's definitely more R&T um, just because, I mean, that's, that's the biggest bulk of our business. We really – to kind of go back, you know, we had to figure out how to make R and T where we could make it into a business. And, uh, we, we bought CNC machines and, and learned, um, I didn't know anything about selling the retail and selling wholesale or, or selling anything to stores. Like I said, I was in, in design and that was kind of my, my background. So R and T is really our bread and butter. And the funny thing about it is that I, I got into this because I actually like making calls by hand, but we realized real quick that wasn't going to be a way to, to make the living that we wanted. So um, I kind of went into it reverse where we went into R&T figuring out how to, to build it on a bigger scale. And now it's kind of come full circle. And uh, that's what's so fun about or what I enjoy about my job now is that I get to still be a call maker with Jay Stevens line and make stuff by hand. You know, I'm not, I don't have to worry about filling orders because honestly it's more of a, um, 
more of an art or I kind of view it more of as, as an artist, you know, where you get to, you get to make creations and sell them and you, you really don't take orders. So, uh, my, my typical day is pretty much spent dealing with stuff with R and T, but I, I do get to spend, you know, maybe four or five hours a day uh, on JC and stuff. And it, and it really just depends on the time of the year too. Like when we're really, really busy, you know, I have to, uh, allocate more time for R and T and then in the off times I can, allocate more with uh, jay stevens and i don't know that you know i don't know if you guys know this but our shop our whole facility pretty much burned down in 2016 and so we kind of had to start all over and when we rebuilt our rebuilt rnt it took us three years to get back to where we were on our feet with our building we thought it was just a devastating thing at first but actually it kind of let us step back and say you know we can change things we can do things different um and we're not really necessarily starting over. So when we built our new, the new R&T facility, it's in the same location. And we did have our warehouse saved, but we were at, we were able to make it where when people, customers come to our retail front, they can actually see R&T calls being made. And then I have like a shop with uh, viewing windows in it so people can see how calls are being made by hand, you know, how they were first doing that. And, and that's something that was real important to me is, is the history and the craft just because I grew up around it. Um, and I want to kind of promote that and, you know, get, get younger guys and, or anybody that's interested in calls. Um, we also, what's unique about our, our new facility is um, we have a tap room in it. So that's kind of a nice bonus. <laughs> you know, we, so we started the Flying Duck Tap Room. I guess we opened up in 2019, and it's in our retail front. And really the whole point of doing that was we were trying to think, how can we promote the history of calls and so we were just sitting around and we were like everybody likes beer right so so we thought instead of just trying to geek out people on duck calls we we built this tap room that everything in it has to do with the history of duck calls we have uh i think it's like 150 to 160 antique duck calls that are on display now on a loan from a collection in nashville tennessee and we rotate it every year so we have different uh, collections of calls made back before the early 1900s up through the 1950s on display. So you can come in. Uh, we thought the craft beer with the tap room fit good with handcrafted calls. So you can come in, have a beer, learn something about calls, see how calls are being made. We've, we've just tried to create a destination, you know, while you're in Stuttgart. But like I said, the main thing behind it is to promote the craft of calls and the history of calls. So I've got one duck call question. How long does a duck call last? Well, that depends. You're asking somebody that makes them. I want to say uh, not very long to go buy another one. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, know, you don't want to be like too good, these, right? That's right. That's right. Um, I think really I view duck calls kind of like putters and drivers. You know, you're always looking for that magic one, and um, you can never have too many. John, before we let you go, I got a lathe a few years ago, and I started turning some turkey calls. And let me tell you this. There's nothing better than you know, putting on some music, going out in the shop, running a lathe, and just kind of creating art. There's nothing better than it. I mean, I, I love it. But let me ask you this question. From a, is it a dendrology situation? That's a study wood, isn't it? Isn't that the study wood, Charlie? If you were to make, if, if, if I gave you one kind of wood that you were going to make the perfect duck call out of, what would that wood be? I think probably the most consistent is Coca-Bola. Um, that's, a, that's from... Um, Mexico actually is real oily wood, so it, it takes weather well. It also has a very good sound, but 
it's getting uh, – I think they're starting to put that on the psyches list. So, um, that's, you know, the list and stuff starts to get not extinct but rare. But we still make a lot of calls out of Coca-Cola, and that's probably one of the most consistent woods. Um, when I turn stuff myself, my my style of calls that I turn under the Jay Stevens are, are more of a vintage style, more traditional style. And um, I actually like to use cherry and walnut for those calls. So, But day in and day out, some of the, the woods from South America hold up better, I guess, like your rosewoods and your uh, cocoa bolas, just because of the oil content. John, I could sit here and talk this all day. I could do it all day long. But I know you've got to work. You've got some calls to turn. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, yeah, I appreciate y'all calling. And let's win that ball game this weekend. Going to leave it up to you. <laughs> that's right. And that's John Stevens over in Stuttgart, Arkansas. R&T calls, rich in tone. Charlie, that was cool, man. I could have done that all day. I could have sat there. This guy, I, I watched. I went over there a couple of years ago and watched him make some calls. And it is amazing about what he can do. If If you're – Okay, for all the ladies out there, we have, and let me tell you this, we, we're having a lot more crossover listeners than we ever thought we would have. And if your significant other is big in the duck world, if he loves to duck hunt, the perfect Christmas gift would be one of those Jay Stevens calls. I mean, it is big time. He, I guarantee you he knows R&T. He knows Rich and Tone. Or guys out there that want to buy something for themselves. That is something to invest in. It is a great duck call, great duck line at R&T. No, it's really cool. And, and I don't know the first thing about duck hunting, but when I see one of these calls, I appreciate the art to it. And you start to take them apart. Now, I don't know how to use one. It's usually cold and it's usually wet. But, man, let me tell you something. That's why I stay home. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Hey, great to talk with uh, with John Stevens. And once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Four locations, Trax Plus, Hickory, Mississippi, Startwell and Columbus on Highway 82, about halfway there to Columbus. And then you've got Summit, Mississippi, and Alexandria, Louisiana. So Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network right on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, that was an interesting conversation with John Stevens over in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Boy, that guy can make some calls. They're cool as all get out. And so now we talk to one of our old pals, Ian Rappaport with the NFL Network. Ian is kind of the insider, knows everything about everything when it comes to the NFL. And Charlie, we had him on the show last year, and people said, hey, that guy seemed like he knew what he was talking about. So let's let's have him back again. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't just <laughs> seem like he, he – I mean, he lives it. That's his life is the NFL. And, you know, I think probably the best thing you can say in his career is that the uh, Clarion Ledger falls in his former employers. <laughs> and this conversation with Ian Rappaport brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi. is something you can be proud of. Something that you can put on the grill, tell all your buddies from other states, hey, this is made right here, and it's better than anything your state can produce. It's made right here in Mississippi. It's Country Pleasing Sausage. Go by and see the storefront at Country Meat Packers in Florence, Mississippi. Everything they have is great. We talked about it last week. Somebody sent me a text and says, I didn't realize they had beef in there as far as steaks, no hand-cut steaks for you. Absolutely. They've got anything you need as far as a butcher shop. All kind of great stuff. Charlie was just amazed at the pork tenderloin with the mac and cheese that's on the inside. And, Charlie, let me tell you this, man. 
every time I go there, that's what I'm getting. I'm getting at least two or three of those, putting them on the grill. My kids love it. Well, the good thing is if you're going to go, right, if you're going to go in there, you you might as well get something different, right? And that certainly qualifies. I mean, that's creative. Now, Crab stuff, pork chops, now, sausage stuff, pork chops. But if you go by your Walmart, just go jalapeno cheddar. It just just do it. It's the way to go. Man, they're in all kind of grocery stores. They're big right now, have gotten pushed out into Georgia, South Carolina. They continue to grow. It's a great product. They're great people at Country Pleasing. And so Country Pleasing bringing you this interview with our good friend Ian Rappaport. And so let's talk with our NFL insider with the NFL Network, Ian Rappaport, old friend. And, hey, welcome back to the show. Good to talk with you, Ian. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. How you been? Doing great. How's everything in New York right now? Uh, it's good. You know, it's a little busy with the trade deadline on, on Tuesday. I'm glad that's over with. It's getting a little colder. We got fall here. I don't know what you guys got down there, but we got fall over here. It's a little colder, but we're hanging in there. Yeah, it's a little bit chillier this morning, so I appreciate you hanging out with us. Hey, I guess let's just jump in and let's talk about, the, of course, everybody's favorite Mississippi State guy, and that's Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And, you know, just overall, your thoughts on, you know, so many people, when they get that big contract, you see it sometimes in coaches, you see it sometimes in players, that they sometimes put too much pressure on themselves, and then they don't feel like they are living up to it. Just overall, what's, uh, what's the mindset of everyone around the league about how Dak has responded to his big payday? So it's interesting with Dak Prescott. You know, obviously he's he's rich now, but he was kind of rich before. I mean, Dak made so much money off the field while dealing with his contract situation. On again, he made a lot of money, so I'm not sure he's been affected by the big contract. I'm also not sure he's been affected by anything in a weird way. You know, like I've you know I've known Dak since he was at Mississippi State, and uh, I don't know if he's changed at all. And I talked to plenty of people about it. I talked to you know Mississippi State people about it. I talked to Cowboys people about it. I talked to people close to Dak. I talked to Dak himself. He's the same. He treats people the same. And, you know, there are plenty of reasons to sort of change your life after you hit it big. And I don't know that Dak has done any of that. You know, he is a leader with the team. He's a leader among the people on the team. And, you know, if you're wondering why the Cowboys are probably going to be a winning organization for the next 10 years, he's a pretty good reason why. One of the favorite things to talk about college football is who's going to win the Heisman. And sometimes you see guys promoted for it who have no real chance in the NFL, we talk MVP. Is Dak legitimately in the MVP conversation this year? Oh, yeah. He should be. I mean, look, they, I know they won without him, and you know, I think he's probably going to be back this week, but honestly, it's a calf injury, so we don't know. But he basically, the Cowboys are really talented, but he is a really good player. And you know, I was talking to Stephen Jones about this a couple of days ago when the Cowboys executive. He went from being a good find to someone who can kind of lead a team but also manage a game to being a dynamic part of a dynamic offense. Like the Cowboys defense is pretty good and they're getting a lot of praise because they're better than last year. The offense is one of the best in the NFL and probably the best the Cowboys have seen in a long time. He makes everyone better. He puts the defense really on its heels and forced them into decision all the time. He gets the ball in the hands of his playmakers and guys want to play for him. That is, that is enough, man. That is enough to where he will be to me. You know, assuming he plays most of the game, I actually think he will be the MVP, and he would deserve it. And you kind of wonder about, you know, what if it had been late in the season and a must-win, you know, could he have gone this past week? And But also, 
Man, I tell you what, the thing about the Cowboys this year, you talk about Micah Parsons and you talk about that Cowboy defense, about how they have gotten much better. And it's almost like he doesn't have to have all the pressure that he's had in his previous years in Dallas because he has a defense now. Well, yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I, I don't tough to know what really bothers Dak because it's so little, but he really does have a defense. And look, the Cowboys allow some yards. I, I get it. But they definitely take the ball away. I mean, they had Trevon Diggs, who you guys obviously saw up close to personal for a bunch of years at Alabama. And, you know, they had Micah Parsons, who was probably the best player on the field, regardless of anything on Sunday night. They got a defense that takes the ball back. And, you know, the Cowboys haven't been to a Super Bowl in a while. This looks like a team that is capable of going. And that the Super Bowl in L.A. with the Cowboys would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that would be, that'd be phenomenal. Hey, you mentioned the trade deadline a little bit earlier. You know, that's come and gone now. It's behind us. And it makes me think about you know, my friend Bart here. I have to hear all this New Orleans Saints talk out of him. Anything surprise you about the Saints not being more active at the trade deadline or just kind of around the league? Were there any big moves you expected that didn't materialize? Well, the Sean Watson trade was obviously the biggest one that did not materialize. You know, I thought a trade might happen at various times throughout the year. The Dolphins were obviously interested. They were the only destination. The fact that it didn't happen, you know, and they got permission to talk to him. To Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, got permission to talk to him on Monday night. Just not enough time. So that not happening, I think, was a little bit surprising. You know, the Saints tried hard to trade for a receiver. They talked to the Browns about Odell. They talked to the Giants about Darius Slayton. Just were not able to pull it off. And now we get the news that Michael Thomas is out for the season. And I reported this morning of a new ankle injury a new issue for Michael Thomas. Well, he has just announced himself that he is out for the season, going to have surgery. For the Saints, I think it's unfortunate they didn't get a receiver, and you sort of do have to wonder what is next for New Orleans. Ian, was it a surprise in the league that they didn't go after a quarterback right here at the end with the injury to Jameis Winston this past weekend? No, no, because you know what Sean Payton has always done is he's taken the next guy and he's turned him into the, the previous guy. So Jameis Winston was the starter. Okay, he beat out Taysom Hill. Like, I would expect Taysom Hill to stay as that sort of gadget guy. I would expect Trevor Simeon to be the quarterback. It's amazing because they're so well coached, and he does such a great job with the quarterback position, that they are going to be in a position to win games and probably make the playoffs, even though they didn't go out and trade for a big-name quarterback. I wasn't expecting it just because I know how great of a coach Sean Payton is. Well, we're talking to NFL insider Ian Rappaport. You can see him on the NFL Network, at Rap Sheet. And, uh, of course, one of our good friends, former writer with the great Clarion Ledger. Ian, we obviously have some other Mississippi State players making an impact around the league. And one of the guys who just seems to have played at a really high level since he came into the league is Jeff Simmons at Tennessee. What are you hearing about oh my how, God. how he's doing? He's a great player. I mean, really a great player. And – you know, I kind of thought he would be good because he looked a little like Fletcher Cox when he came in. Of some, and this one thing with Mississippi State guys, I know we talked about this before. Like they really come in ready to contribute. Like really, like there are a number of Mississippi State players who are as good pros as they were in college. Like Dak Prescott would be a great example. He was a great player in Mississippi State, led them to a number one ranking. Comes into the NFL and is exactly the same player. Fletcher Cox, same way. Jeffrey Simmons, same way. A lot of players like that from Mississippi State for whatever reason. Um, I think they're pretty well coached. That would be one reason why. But, you know, Simmons showed up with an ACL, rehabbed well enough to be able to play during his first season, and now he's become just a dominating force up front. Like, he's going to be one of the linchpins of the Titans' defense for years to come, and he's a good guy. 
you know, obviously we saw his issues before he arrived in Mississippi State, but he has done nothing to show that, that that's him at all. So, yeah, I, I mean, he's a great player and a huge part of what's going to be, I think, a playoff team. You know, so much has been talking about the Mississippi State players in the NFL, the players in the NFL. Now all of a sudden you start seeing you know, the Mississippi State guys who have influenced from Mississippi State. They're now coaches. And I guess the first one we think about is Joe Judge in New York. Yep. It seems like a culture change has taken place in New York. What's the vibe around the Giants program and the, their backing of Joe Judge? Well, you know, obviously they haven't won as many games as they would have liked, but they also don't have great personnel and everyone's been injured. So, you know, he is, despite the record, he has gotten really good reviews. I mean, what we saw Monday night was a good example. They played hard. They took the Chiefs to the brink. I know the Chiefs aren't playing great, but they're still the Chiefs. They didn't win, but they showed a lot. So I would say when the personnel catches up to it, I would say they're still going to be okay and still going to be good. I think, you know, his, you know, his sort of reviews, I think have all been really positive. Ian, you mentioned the Chiefs. So I have to skip out that real quickly. A couple of Mississippi State guys, Willie Gay and Chris Jones. Willie Gay had, what, interception in back-to-back games now. But what's going on with the Chiefs? They seem to be struggling a little bit. Is it kind of a little bit of a, a hangover from the past couple of years? Is it the schedule is just brutal? Um, what do you see going on with the Chiefs? I think the main thing is it's really hard to be really good for a long time. Because we're human. And not me, I don't play for the Chiefs. I'm just saying we as humans are humans. And to have the motivation to keep killing people, to keep beating people on the field, football-wise, obviously, to have all that, it's hard. And that's why, I mean, what the Patriots did for years was so incredible. You know, just absolutely incredible because you kept people having the hunger to go out and do it year after year. Chiefs have hit a little low. I think they're going to be okay, but I don't have anything to back it up because I need to see it on the field. So, um, they're really at a crossroads now. They're four and four. It's all ahead of them, but I, I really do think they're going to be okay. We're talking with Ian Rappaport with the NFL Network. You know, Ian, last year we had Joe Judge on our show. We also had another guy with Mississippi State ties, Bruce Arians, on the show as well. And after winning the world championship last year and having everybody back, there was almost this thought with Tom Brady that there were going to be you know a fifteen and one type of team. Is is there any kind of surprise that they have not been as dominant so far this year as people would have thought? You know, I, I think with with the Bucks, there's a couple of things here. One is again, like they they won a Super Bowl, and it is hard to act and play with the hunger that you kind of did previously. The other thing is the NFL; you just have to be perfect all the time. Um, so I think the Bucks are going to be fine. I think they're going to be in it to the end, and they're going to be really good. They've dealt with so many injury issues, especially on the back end, that. You know, sometimes you hit a low during the season, just having to deal with the issues that are already there. Um, I think the Bucks are going to be okay because Arians does such a good job, and when it matters most, Brady, along with Arians, and mostly Brady, will make sure this team is ready to go. Ian, before we let you go, appreciate you joining us this morning. You know, in football right now, in college football, the hot-button topic among everyone, especially with Charlie Winfield, is about the targeting rule in college football. Everybody wants to see it possibly changed or not just the way it's called but are you disqualified for the entire game in the NFL it seems like every Sunday there's such a big push about roughing the passer is is that something that the NFL continues to evaluate or is it just kind of is what it is now when you start looking at how they are calling roughing the passer in the NFL game well I think that the NFL has done a really good job of 
you know, when, when, the, when the NFL's insistence on protecting the quarterback came, I know there were a lot of defenders that were upset. Oh, we can't hit the quarterback. This is ridiculous. It's, you know, whatever, protecting these guys. And then at some point, everyone stopped yelling and everyone started changing. Now, the difference with college football is there's so many more players. So there's no uniform anything in college football because there's hundreds of more players. I watch every NFL game every week. And I almost never, almost never see now a hit where a defender lands on a quarterback, drives him into the ground, and gets up. It literally almost never happens. And it's incredible. Just like I never see a safety launch himself at a receiver head first. It never happens. Because in the NFL, the players have adapted and they have changed. And it has been incredible to watch. And it's made the game safer. And I hope that that also is what happens to college football. It's just harder because there's so many more people. Talking about adapting, did you ever think that you'd ever see a Mississippi State team throw it 60 times a game? <laughs> no, man. It's, I, I'll tell you, though, like, it's incredible. It's really like a test of wills and patience and how they can be so efficient while still throwing it. Watching what they did the other night, and I thought that was a great game, uh, or the other day, I should say, um, it was really cool to watch because I didn't know you could be that consistent throwing it all the time. But, you know, when Mike Leach gets it going, you know, he certainly gets it going, and it really is fun to watch. Hey, it's been a crazy morning for you. I know. All the Michael Thomas stuff going on. Hey, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to hang out with us for a few minutes. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. That's Ian Rappaport with the NFL Network. Charlie, tell you what, man, that guy's always working the phone. Always working the phone. Always got something going on. Shaker to playmaker. Well, i tell you the thing I would hate about that job is somebody else controls your schedule all the time. Because you could be sitting down for a nice, quiet dinner, and some guy puts on Twitter, I'm not playing this weekend. Well, now you're busy. Or some guy puts on Twitter, I really want to be traded. Now you're busy. A lot of other people control your time. What was funny is during this interview, he was tweeting at the same time he's talking to us that Michael Thomas has announced he's out for the year. And so it, it, it doesn't even stop when he's doing interviews. And so, hey, great to talk with our good friend Ian Rappaport. And once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing right here in the state of Mississippi in Florence, Mississippi. Go by your local grocer. They use it in all these great restaurants around the southeast and around the country. Country Pleasing Sausage. And so Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We're here in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown. And, boy, Charlie, a good mix today. Good to talk to John Stevens, our good friend over at Stuttgart, Arkansas, with RNT Calls. Ian Rappaport always got something going on. And so now we turn our attention to the state of Arkansas on Saturday at 3 o'clock, Mississippi State and Arkansas. And as we talked about a little bit ago, now all of a sudden you're trying to see if you can get that consistency piece into the puzzle. And that's the trick, right? We saw the numbers, for example, that Will Rogers put up this past weekend, 36-39 SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Now, you can't expect that every weekend, right? But the key is, can you go? Can you have that ball control offense that we had? Can you not turn it over? And can you sustain drives? The other thing we did at times this past weekend, and this is very out of our nature, we got away with playing behind the sticks a couple of times because we were able to make conversions. 
it's going to be so important on the road not to put yourself into those spots. But if you do, can you find a way out of them? Yeah, one of the big things we were able to do as well this past weekend was overcome penalties because we had a number of them. And I look back at that game, Charlie. You know, we're down 10 to nothing early in the second quarter. And then you're kind of wondering. Felt like it could get away from you it right there. Felt like you could get away from you in a hurry. You know, if you get the ball back down 10 to nothing, go three and out, yeah. just go ahead and head back to the tailgate, right? And so, you know, you come out that drive, and then all of a sudden you get a pass from Will Rogers to Jaquavius Marks, and then Marks with a run, and you're able to get things going. Then Jaquavius Marks had a hand in the first three plays. You know, you had the pass of eight yards. You had a rush of eight yards. You had a face mask penalty in there that was really big as well, just about yanked his neck off. And then you come right back to Jaquavius Marks for 14 yards, but three plays, and you're down to the Kentucky 30-yard line. And you're like, okay, now all of a sudden it becomes imperative that you score. You'd already missed a field goal. You uh, you were down 10 to nothing in the game. You had a false start penalty, but you were able to overcome some penalties in there, and you end up scoring on a Mark 7-yard touchdown run. I thought that, Charlie, was the turning point in the game this past Saturday from a situation of, uh-oh, they've run a punt back. We've got nothing going offensively. They're up 10 to nothing. Then to all of a sudden, hey, we've kind of regathered ourselves a little bit. Well, if you go back and you look at that drive, here's what was interesting. You talked about moving it down to the 30, but then what do you do? You commit a penalty and you jump off sides, right? We have a false start. So you got them now moved back to the 35. And that was really the first time that you could tell that Kentucky was doing something with a snap count. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something. That was so frustrating. Then, though, you come back and you complete a couple of passes, but on third down you run the ball and you get 10 yards. We get it down to the 12. Remember, that's we got the pass interference call there, right? Yep. That was a big play. Got us down inside the five-yard line. But what do we do? Another penalty. Another penalty and have another false start. And so now you're back at the seven. But instead of throwing the ball there, you run it. And so one of the things that we know about this Mississippi State offense, a lot of times when they're running the football, that's a call that Will Rogers is making on the field rather than from the sidelines. He's looking at defense and adjusting. And so – if you start to look for hope, number one, that drive right there gave you a chance to win that ball game. Yeah, and what it does going forward, too, I think the point you're about to make is now all of a sudden it seems like Will is more comfortable at the line of scrimmage of checking into runs. And it's not just about the passes that you made. It's not just about the 36 of 39. It's the positions you put your offense in of being able to run the football as well and checking into runs. That's exactly right. And so we go back to last year. Arkansas really took a lot of air out of the balloon, man. They did. That was a tough loss because it, we looked hopeless. Now, Will Rogers wasn't playing quarterback in that ball game, but we looked hopeless offensively against them. And we heard it all year long, rush three, drop eight, rush three, drop eight. Now I think we've got a quarterback who is more willing to make adjustments than at any point last season when a team does that. I would like to think that Arkansas will not get away with that approach. All right, so we'll jump very deeply into this game on our Friday Deep Dig, brought to you by Tracks Plus. That'll be on Friday. And then we're back in the Farm Bureau studios on Sunday for our Sunday coffee, hopefully talking about a big Bulldog win. Charlie, hey, a little bit outside the box today. I enjoyed that. I really did. Uh, John Stevens was great. Ian Rappaport is always great as well. And so, hey, look forward to seeing you on Friday. Yes, and I have a feeling 
one of our big numbers will be stopping the quarterback from running the football. Ooh, big old KJ Jefferson. And, hey, once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, our friends at Startwell, Mississippi's College Town, and the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Brought to you by the Mississippi Cattle Farmers and their checkoff. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Field, presented by Farm Bureau.